entering the Freedom Hut. Nancy Pelosi takes a cheap shot at President Trump, so he slaps down the Democrats in a meeting over infrastructure. Are they going to impeach or not? Time for them to figure it out one way or the other. Plus, the latest on the border crisis, illegals being kept in solitary, we are told. Why is that happening and what should be done about it? And Michael Avenatti in a bit of trouble. Ooh, this will be interesting. That and more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, would you believe that it's important for the, the, to follow the facts? Uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States. And we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. In a cover-up. And that was the nature of the <laughs> I walked into the room and I told Senator Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, I want to do infrastructure. I want to do it more than you want to do it. I'd be really good at that. That's what I do. But you know what? You can't do it under these circumstances. So get these phony investigations over with. Let's have the meeting on infrastructure. We'll get that done easily. That's one of the easy ones. And instead of walking in happily into a meeting, I walk in to look at people that had just said that I was doing a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. L.A. edition out here on the left coast. Oh, man, looks like I'm missing some fun stuff going on in the swamp. Democrats, you you shameless, shameless bunch, you. All the politics that are going on, all their efforts to try and use everything that they can to take down the president, to weaponize the federal bureaucracy, the Department of Justice, law enforcement agencies, the intelligence community, all that stuff. And now they act like Trump is the one playing politics. This is something that the left has has borrowed from Obama. This is really an Obama-ism. You don't remember back in those those eight years, the, the acting assumption of President Obama personally and for his, the rest of his administration around him was that it's only the other guy that does politics. Among, among my, I was going to say favorite, I guess it's really least favorite, Obamaisms were the creation of massive straw men. You know, some people say uh, we should not eat any food and we should all starve to death. But I'm against that. You know, and you'd say, no, I don't think anyone. On, I don't think any Republicans actually think that we should all starve to death. I, I don't know where that's a policy. So that's one Obamaism: the creation of straw men that don't exist, and then he, you know, is a pyromaniac and lights those straw men on fire. And the other one, that's kind of a Churchill, a version of the Churchill quote. The other one that, that you see is, you know, the other guys engaging in politics. Pelosi has borrowed a, a page from Obama's book here. Or maybe it was Obama borrowing from her book originally. Who knows? But it's the dishonest establishment leftist politician playbook. They're holding a meeting before the meeting with the president of the United States where they're discussing whether or not to impeach. Now, on so many levels, I find this to be uh, both disturbing and hilarious. For one thing, can they just figure out 
what it is that they would like to impeach the president of the United States for. Can they just come up with what the specific item is that they're going to put at the top at the top of the paper of impeachment, the articles of impeachment? The answer is no, of course. Is it is it the emoluments clause violations which didn't happen, the collusion with Russia that didn't happen, the obstruction that didn't happen and was not charged, the you know the tax returns that he shouldn't have to share but now judges are turning against him? What is it exactly? If Trump were as bad as they seem to think he is, or at least they pretend to think, that's really what Democrats do. They pretend to think the president of the United States is grotesquely incompetent, but also a genius somehow. They did this to Bush, too. Bush was a moron, they said, but was controlling the world. Or, or maybe Bush was a moron, but Cheney was using him as a, as a hand puppet to control the world. And Cheney was evil, but he was an evil genius, but he was, you know, they, they never, they just, it's just, uh, it's just emotion. It's just spewing of bile. They're just, uh. it's like whenever I overhear a conversation here in California, well, in Los Angeles specifically, it tends to be along the lines of Trump is like so bad. And I just like, uh, he's just like awful. I, I always want to ask, but I know that it'll just stump them. What exactly has he done? What has he done that is so terrible? What has what has the Trump presidency done that, you know, I, I could sit here and tell you bad things about the Bush administration. I could tell you a whole bunch of bad things about the Obama administration. You know, in normal times, the escalation of a war and the massive increase in U.S. casualties and killed in action in a war, in, the, in this case, Afghanistan, for purely political, domestic political purposes would be a, an area of a lot of criticism. Obama got away with it entirely. Let's escalate Afghanistan, a lot more casualties, many more people coming home, wounded, maimed, or dead, fighting for this country overseas. Because Obama had said on the campaign trail that Afghanistan was, was the good war. That's a bad thing. There are, there are those choices that presidents can make, that administrations can make, the policies they can enact that have truly negative consequences and should be fought against and should be pointed out. I keep asking the question, what is the terrible thing that Trump has done? The, the travel ban? Who, who, how many of you know somebody that their life is unalterably and horrifically changed because of the travel ban? Which the Supreme Court upheld, much to you know, liberals, all these liberal legal analysts who go on TV, the same legal analysts that are telling us now that there was all kinds of illegality that Mueller found but didn't charge. Because he can't charge a president. Well, then why was he going through this whole investigation? What's the, what's the purpose of a special counsel if the president can't be charged? If it's just going to be a political exercise, then why doesn't the Congress just do it? The executive branch, the Department of Justice, is charged with executing the law. So therefore, it must be a criminal procedure they are engaged in, a criminal investiga- investigative procedure. But now what Mueller and his little Democrat cronies would have you think is that it's supposed to be an opposition research exercise to hand off to the congress so that now we can hear from nancy pelosi and the rest of the democrat clowns about how they they think that the president maybe they'll impeach him maybe they won't they got to figure out how this will blow back on them first i thought this was all about principle i thought this was the president is so awful we can't wait they they actually cannot wait meaning they they lose uh, they lose greatly if they don't take this on with 
tremendous speed. They have to get rid of this president. Hmm. That's not the case, is it? They'd much rather know, is this going to be bad for us politically? That's not a principled position. That's a political position. All you get from these Democrats is partisanship. Is Trump bad? Orange man bad? Must destroy? Must take him down? Must win back power? And then they turn around and say, why is Trump so partisan? Why is he being this partisan man who says the mean things on the Twitter? Well, what is he supposed to do? Pelosi today, I mean, she's like the character in Casablanca who was shocked, shocked to find that there was gambling going on. She is shocked that there is politics happening here. Play clip six. Wasn't really uh, respectful of the reason of that. Congress and the White House working together, he just took a pass. And it just makes me wonder why, why he did that. In any event, I pray for the President of the United States. And I pray for the United States of America. I do think sometimes that Nancy Pelosi is so shameless and, and really so intellectually vapid that it's a big advantage for her in politics. That essentially she's the equivalent of a, a mob boss who people sometimes think, oh, mob bosses are geniuses. No, they just have no scruples and will do anything and are willing to and, and endure tremendous risks as a result of, of what they do. But she's not in that category. She's in the, maybe she's just so incapable of shame that she has a tremendous asset for the purposes of bare knuckle politics. She's really saying here that President Trump is being disrespectful to Congress. Pelosi and all of her little Democrat buddies want the president in prison. They keep talking about how he is a criminal. They're subpoenaing the president's former top aides. they, They want to get the president's children under oath. I mean, I'll tell you this, and you, you need to remember it, because it can easily get swept up in the, oh, this is just the usual partisan back and forth. That's not true. These people are broken by Trump. They have lost their minds. Pelosi and all of the rest really view him as some kind of existential threat, not to the country, but to their power. They worry that it will never return. It'll never be the same unless they annihilate the administration of Donald Trump, the legacy of this president, and certainly prevent him from another four years. Why can't they beat him at the ballot box if he's so incompetent? If the country's in such bad shape, which no serious person can really argue. Is the country better right now than it was under the Obama administration? The answer is yes. We have a better economy, more prosperity, less government interference, uh, no massive military operations ongoing. We're in a better place right now. It's just a fact. Obama had his eight years, wasn't very good at the job. Everyone talked about how he was a genius, the most super amazing president ever, really some kind of a demigod, you know, somebody who was more than just human. Obama was was a celestial presidency as far as the media was concerned, a divine incarnation in the White House. Didn't work out for the rest of the country that way. You had a very slow economic recovery. You had the Obamacare disaster foisted on all of us. Benghazi, you had race riots, you had all kinds of really nasty stuff happening. But they thought it was a divine presidency. Now with Trump, they tell us that it's the opposite. Trump is the is the kind of Democrat 
I'd say Antichrist, but I don't know if they like that the religious overtones there. Uh, that, that Trump is the epitome of evil in a, in a political office. That's what they believe, but they can't even bring themselves to have the courage of their convictions and say, we're going to impeach him. Why not? Because really this is about power. It's about their power, and they know it. And the case to the American people that Donald Trump has been an inept president, a bad president, they don't have the skill set to make that strongly enough that they are confident they can prevent him from four more years. You know why? Because it's been good so far. He's doing a good job. And maybe you could argue, well, Buck, he hasn't done as much as he said he would and everything else. Well, perhaps a good president is one who only gets a few things done and just doesn't mess everything else up. Perhaps a do-no-harm presidency should be the first principle for those in the Oval Office. Instead of what Obama did and what Democrats want to do now, which is a do-everything presidency, a Green New Deal presidency. Let's just, let's fixate on every aspect of your life, tell you what to do. Let's just jam virtue signaling hypocrisy down the throats of the American people. Make it harder to start a business. Make it harder to pay your mortgage. Tell people that the only reason you can pay your mortgage is because you're oppressing them. That's what Democrats want to do. And with all of that happening, Pelosi says that the president is the one who's being disrespectful. She says he's engaged in a cover-up after going through a two-year-long investigation where Mueller and his little Democrat hitmen had to know, had to know that there was no Russia collusion almost from the start and kept this thing going and kept this thing going. The process was the punishment. This is what Fitzgerald, the special prosecutor under the Bush administration, did in the whole Scooter Libby case. Just keep putting people under oath. Keep looking for something. Keep looking for someone to hit. They knew right away this wasn't actually a leak case. But keep it going. Keep it going. This is what Democrats do. The process is the punishment. Pelosi and the Democrat left are using all the processes of government against this president and doing so in a vicious manner, really want to ruin him and his family. The media is cheering them on like a bunch of idiot jackals, because that's what most of the mainstream media is. And she has the chutzpah. I wanted to say something else. The chutzpah to say that the president is being disrespectful when he says this isn't going to work. We're not, we're not doing this bipartisan dance right now. Please, Pelosi. It really is appalling really is but you know what else is appalling michael avenatti very appalling we'll get into that got some immigration stuff to discuss it is a jam-packed day here in the freedom hut la edition i do want to tell you that we are going to open some lines i like to keep you on your toes some you're like wait lines phone sometimes i do it usually i'm a little i zealously guard my time on air and so i don't take many calls today we can take some calls if you like or if you don't call in i'll just keep talking 888-900-2825 that's right that's the phone number it's my show. I, I do remember it. 888-900-BUCK. 888-900-2825. If you light up the lines, well, then we'll know that we want to do more calls going forward. If you don't, well, then I know we're just going to hang out, you and me. We'll be right back. We're requesting a judge to do a temporary restraining order before that money is redirected. is inappropriately taken. Confident will win in court. Current project, as planned, would cost too much and respectfully take too long. There's been too little oversight and not enough transparency. Hundreds of millions over budget, totally out of control, and we told we're not going to do it. 
mean, we're not going to, it's been under construction forever. Wait a second. You mean that this absolutely heralded by the left high-speed rail project in California, I mean, they love this idea to connect L.A. with San Francisco. Dude, then you wouldn't have to be on the 101 to the 405 to the 252 to the 197 to the, you know. You just got on the train, right? High-speed rail. Small, small carbon footprint for folks. Although they always forget that electricity is a secondary power source, not a primary power source. You have to generate electricity somehow, and finding the ways to do that is the problem. Just driving an electric car doesn't mean you're saving the planet. Does that electricity come from coal? By the way, you're not saving the planet regardless because climate change catastrophists are insane. Nonetheless, this project is, everyone understands, a complete debacle. And I'm here in California. I'm in Los Angeles talking to you. And I can tell you that I'm sure if I walked around and asked people about the project, they'd say, yeah, man, like it's not so good. Like, I don't know if we're going to have this train, man. But the moment that Trump says, all right, so we're not going to we're not going to put a billion dollars into something that everyone knows can't happen. And there are benchmarks that they have to hit anyway to get the money. Gavin Newsom is, oh, it's terrible. And Trump's just doing this because he doesn't like this state and because we don't back him on immigration. Uh, no, maybe maybe the president's trying to make a, a sound decision. But also, shouldn't the president be able to fight back? I, I always find this fascinating that the Democrats complain about this, like they're allowed that this is supposed to be a one way street. Pelosi can say the president's engaged in a cover up today, as she did. And then the president's supposed to be really nice to her. You know, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom and the state of California can actively undermine federal immigration law enforcement, because that is what they do. I mean, they pass state laws that undermine federal laws and then complain about how, you know, that the Trump administration doesn't want to play all footsie-footsie with the train situation. Guess what? Trump has feelings, too. (laughs) Trump's allowed to fight back, darn it. And he's doing a good job of it. I love it. Trump fighting back. Trump punching back is my favorite Trump. 888-900-2825. Take some calls today if you want. 888-900-BUCK. That's right. 888-900-2825. We will be right back. Remember when the left called the Green New Deal bold? Or how about their bold defense of anti-Semitism in the House? I think they're mistaking bold for something else because the way I define bold is the taste of freedom I get every morning with my Black Rifle coffee. Black Rifle delivers the best roast-to-order coffee right to your door. And Black Rifle's Coffee Club makes things easy. Just pick your blend and the amount you want and Black Rifle ships your coffee right to your door every month hassle-free. No lines, no running out, just great coffee shipped right to your door every month month hassle-free. Plus, when you join their coffee club, you'll receive discounts and offers not available to other customers. When you drink Black Rifle Coffee, you're supporting a company that gives back to veteran and first responder causes and serves coffee and culture to those who truly love America. For a bold cup of America's best coffee, visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and get 20% off your first purchase. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 20% off. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Uh, Would you believe that it's important to follow the facts? Uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States, and we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. 
in a cover-up. And that was the nature of the meeting. Last night, he put forth a letter saying that unless we passed uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada free trade agreement, there was no reason for us to, you know, we couldn't go for it with infrastructure. We didn't see those two as related, but the fact is uh, hopeful, optimistic, and um, seeing the necessity for a big infrastructure uh, initiative for our country, we went uh, in the spirit of bipartisanship to find common ground with the president on this. Uh, this he came into the room, made a statement that he made. was uh, I won't even characterize it. What a fraud. I can't tell if she's an idiot or a fraud or both, but what a ridiculous a ridiculous day for Nancy Pelosi today. She starts out, the president's engaged in a cover-up. That She's saying the president's engaged in a crime. She's never, it seems, registered that the two-year-long investigation into Russia collusion, the hysteria that the president of the United States was working with the Russians to steal the election from the queen-elect Hillary, Hillary Clinton, that that was all a fraud, and the president's already been put through that. And unfortunately has had very real negative ramifications for his presidency. Pelosi doesn't take any of that into account. Just doesn't care. Just doesn't care. Now it's now it's the cover-up. You know, the, the Democrats kind of remind me, I don't know how many of you have older brothers or, or sisters, and if they've, if they've ever done this to you, but, you know, remember when you are a kid and they'd grab your arms, you know, if one of your siblings would grab your arms and hit you with your own hands? And then to add insult to injury, they'd say, you know, hey, do you like, do you like that? Stop hitting yourself. Do you like it? Stop hitting yourself. And, you know, of course, then you have to like either, you know, rally and take, take your older sibling out or, uh, or maybe call for mom or dad. You know, it depends on how, what the age difference is and, and who's got the weight, the weight advantage. Uh, but they're basically telling President Trump, why don't you like hitting yourself? Why don't you enjoy these processes of investigation and smearing and why do you object to our leveraging of the federal uh, federal bureaucracy which voted 90 percent plus based on donation records for hillary clinton i mean i'm assuming if you donate to hillary you're gonna vote for hillary 90 percent plus federal bureaucracy being utilized as a weapon against this president the judiciary increasingly used as a weapon against this president. Bill Barr is absolutely right. You want to talk, they use the word unprecedented about Trump all the time. It became funny after all, because they say, oh my gosh, this is unprecedented. The president is issuing a pardon. No, that's not unprecedented. That's not unprecedented. It is literally not literally true. It is literally not unprecedented. Um, Trying to avoid the use of the word literally now. I, I hear it out here a lot. People need to stop. I'm literally like going to the store now, but actually I'm walking my dog. It's like, well, then you're literally not going to the store. Uh, they think they think the president is supposed to sit by and take all of this. And now they are so brazen that the suggestion you get from Pelosi and from others is that even though all of the all the stuff they've been saying about him is a lie. And they already had a special counsel and it didn't give them what they wanted. And Democrats are just weepy with disappointment because Mueller was not the savior that they had anticipated. I thought it was awesome that Pelosi said she would pray for the president. Now she won't. First, first of all, I thought that thoughts and prayers were now out of style on the left. Don't tweet thoughts and prayers. Gotta ban guns. You know, that's what they always say now. 
thoughts and prayers do nothing. This is Democrats being really, really kind and helpful to their fellow human beings in the aftermath of tragedy. Thoughts and prayers. Go thoughts and prayers yourself. You know, they really. But Pelosi says she's praying. I don't know. Maybe Pelosi should pray for guidance as a prominent politician and a self-professed Roman Catholic for why it is that she doesn't think that babies are babies when they are in the womb. Maybe she can get some guidance from above on that if she were to actually pray. But I digress. President Trump doesn't sit around and take this stuff lying down. And so that then becomes evidence of his guilt. This is the old uh, the old trials by ordeal. Remember trial by ordeal? They'd make you do something, and depending on how it turns out, uh, they'll decide your guilt or not. So, you know, you walk across hot coals. Do your feet get burned? You, you're, they, they weigh you down with rocks in a lake. Do you sink? Well, if you sink, you're, you're guilty, and then you're dead anyway. So look at that. You must have been guilty. This is the stuff they're doing to President Trump. He, he tries to tell the public that he's not guilty of Russia collusion. They say that that's effectively obstruction, that that's a crime. Even though there was no Russia collusion. So what he's doing is telling the people of America the truth. But you see, for Democrats, when the president speaks the truth about what they are doing to him publicly, that really upsets them. And so they view that as a crime in and of itself. Making them look like the bunch of foolish imbeciles that they are that's criminal and the contortions they go through here to find ways of looking at the law such that president trump is in violation it should it's embarrassing it's embarrassing so oh but what about lock her up with hillary hillary broke the law hillary anyone who ever wants to argue that with me is welcome to they're wrong hillary broke the law many times what should her punishment have been that's up for debate how, you know, should she have faced real prison time or just lost her clearance? Or, But she broke the law, no question. If words have meaning, Hillary Clinton broke the law, and yet James Comey said no, re- no reasonable prosecutor would have brought charges against her. I have not forgotten that. I have not forgotten how James Comey was really a Comeyist all along. But I don't, I don't want to get too deep into Comey at this moment in time. President Trump is fighting back and saying, look, I didn't do anything wrong. This is nonsense. There is no cover-up. There never has been a cover-up. Play clip 14. So I came here to do a meeting on infrastructure with Democrats, not really thinking they wanted to do infrastructure or anything else other than investigate. And I just saw that Nancy Pelosi, just before our meeting, made a statement that we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. Well, it turns out I'm the most, and I think most of you would agree to this, I'm the most transparent president probably in the history of this country. Uh, We have given, on a witch hunt, on a hoax, the whole thing with Russia was a hoax. Instead of walking in happily into a meeting, I walk in to look at people that had just said that I was doing a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. How could it be a cover-up when they've already had teams of prosecutors pull all the documents, interview all the people? The Congress just wants to do this again. This is effectively the political version of what in the criminal justice system would be considered double jeopardy. The president's already been through a full investigation of all these Russia matters and their alleged obstruction tied to it, and it's done. 
It's over. They need to move on, but they don't want to move on. People that talk about Benghazi don't know what the heck they're talking about. First of all, people died in Benghazi. Second of all, the administration at the time, the Obama administration, was derelict in their duty in Benghazi. And third of all, there was no special counsel that had prosecutorial authority and investigative powers and an unlimited budget to go after everything in Benghazi and was given by the administration of the time complete and open access. Oh, no. No, that, that did not happen. There was no special counsel for Benghazi. So this is a, this is a, a red herring. This is a nonsense comparison. From, Look at all the hearings over Benghazi. Yeah, there needed to be hearings because the, Democrat, the Obama administration pretended like nothing, nothing went down that night. Nothing happened. Didn't want people to pay too much attention to how we started a war in Libya for what? What did the U.S. gain out of that situation? This is double jeopardy for political purposes. The president knows it. That's why he's fighting against it. And they hope that Americans, at least enough Americans, that they can get their way in the next election, aren't paying attention to it. Uh, These people do violence to the law in the name of upholding the law. It's a very disconcerting tendency you see among Democrats. I mean, here's another example. You've got, I, I mentioned before, these lower court injunctions. This is this means that a federal judge anywhere in the country right now feels empowered and knows that he or she will be a hero to the left by just giving them what they want through a a, a national universal they call it a universal injunction. One federal judge can say the president can't do that and then the president is unable to do it until an appeals court hears it. And in some cases the appeals court will hear it and they're a bunch of partisan hacks, Obama appointees, whatever the case may be, or bad Republican appointees, which often happens too. I think Souter was a Republican appointee, if memory serves, on the Supreme Court. And then you have to get you have to get around the fact that the executive branch doesn't really have any authority that is directly left to it because there's always some federal judge somewhere who wants to be a progressive hero and give some diktat from the bench about how the president can't do that. A great example of this, and we'll be talking about immigration the next hour, is deferred action for childhood arrivals, DACA, right? So-called dreamers. Which is, we want to talk about politicized terms, but immigration, they just stack it. They stack the immigration discussion with as many words and terms as possible that are meant to get you to concede that their side is right before you've even had the discussion. Oh, I just want to help the dreamers and get documents for the undocumented and they're doing the jobs Americans won't do and, you know, nation of immigrants. And they just string all this pablum together, this claptrap. But these judges won't allow this president to undo DACA, which the justification under the Obama administration for it was purely executive prosecutorial discretion. So this is the judicial equivalent of one prosecutor looks at something and says, I'm not going to bring charges. And then another prosecutor comes along and says, you know what, actually, there's reason to bring charges here and says, nope, sorry, you don't have the right. That's not how the system works. And these judges, especially in the Ninth Circuit, keep getting overturned, but it takes time. It takes time. They know it does. The process is the punishment. This is hashtag resistance. This is the anti-Trump judiciary getting through the judicial branch, what they can't get through the ballot box and through the presidency. This is fighting against the president by turning the system against itself. 
It's it's Alinsky, really. I mean, this is the Alinskyite uh, approach to judicial resistance to a presidency. Remember, I mean, some of the Alinsky tactics, like just you know, go into an establishment and have everybody that you know stand in all the bathroom stalls and, and stand at all the bathrooms, so nobody in that building can go to the bathroom all day. I mean, technically, there's no law against using a bathroom all day, but there's no good faith, right? The 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 way that this is all this is all premised on taking advantage of other people who are acting in good faith and using the system against them to get what you should not what you should not be able to get that is what these judges are doing we'll get it this is going to turn into a discussion in a moment here about trump's taxes which lib- libs are obsessed the libs are obsessed with trump's taxes this is going to be a nothing burger but this is now something that you can't have a rational discussion with most libs about the president's taxes they think that there's going to be a handwritten note from putin that says you know for election interference We'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with me. Joe in San Francisco. He's uh, calling in from California, where I am, my friend. I guess I can't take the high-speed rail to see you, but good of you to call. Shields high, Buck. Shields high. Any chance you're going to make it up here while you're out here, or is this? No, I got to get back. I got to get back to the swamp. I got to clear out the methane from the Democrats. Yes, the swamp needs you to clear it out. So, well, anyway, hasten back. But I uh, hope you survive while you're out here, and good to have you out on the West Coast. Well, you know, about the whole Trump investigation, I mean, you do have to remember that uh, um, there were Trump employees who were smashing phones in the parking lot with their hands. Oh, wait, 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 that was Hillary Clinton, that's right. You do have to remember, though, the time when they talked about the uh, not having backups to the emails and there were no ta- Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That was the IRS. Oh, man, that's right. That was the IRS. Or what about the time when Trump used bleach? But oh, wait, wait, it wasn't Trump using bleach pit. It was Hillary Clinton used bleach pit on her server. But wait, wait, he's so corrupt. He lies so much. You know, I'd have to say, though, in all honesty, the thing I like the most about Donald Trump, and you can really see it out here in uh, among the lunatics in San Francisco, is that he really smokes these people out. And oh yeah, I, I told you this. Before. Oh, it's so true. I mean, he's Trump. Trump derangement syndrome has has a clarifying and really a cleansing effect because it shows you who all the loons are. Yes, and um, you know, I, I think I told you this before. We haven't spoken in quite a while, but uh, I, I've told you this before that I was a reluctant Trump voter. But now, in uh, in 2020 or 2020, I'm going to crawl over broken glass with acid and ants poured on it in order to vote for Donald Trump. Well, I that's, think there are a lot I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, by the way. I mean, I, I wasn't certain of it. I mean, I definitely voted for the guy and told others to. But since he's been in office, what I've seen is, one, he's actually done a pretty good job. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. I didn't think it would be. It's not even great, but I'd say it's, it's good. But the other side, I mean, they're just unserious. They're a serious threat to the economy and to a lot of other things, but they're unserious as people, and their ideas are, are, are wacko. They got a lot of wacko ideas, uh, and, yeah, and there's and there's a there's a fundamental yeah. dishonesty not for the individuals necessarily in the Democratic Party, although that's true too. But I think that Democratic ideology is impo- I, I think you cannot be a Democrat without holding a lot of mutually contradictory uh, positions and engaging in a whole lot of virtue signaling and hypocrisy. That's that's I, so I, I think there's there's deep fundamental flaws in the thinking of the American left, no matter who you are. You obviously. You, you often ask the question, are they dishonest or are they stupid? Or I would add to that, are they insane? I, you know, I, I think the answer almost always is that they're all three. 
to be perfectly frank. So, well, man, Joe, we, we anyway. better get you a an alias up there in San Francisco because you're, you're dropping way too many truth bombs to stay to, to be able to deal with all those commies, man. Be careful, all right. You keep your head down. Don't uh, don't do step in any of the uh, any of the human waste on the ground there, and and avoid Antifa, my friend. Shield side. Thanks for calling in. Shield yeah, man, San Francisco. San Francisco is a it's a pretty town with great food, but it is not well run these days, and it's really expensive too. I think it's interesting you had uh, Gavin, speaking of California, you had Newsom today saying that it's a national disgrace that there's all this homelessness in California. I'm like, why is it a national disgrace? It's not Texas's fault. You know, it's not it's not South Carolina's fault. It's not Florida's fault that there's all this homelessness in California. Maybe the California governor should uh, take a little bit of responsibility for the problem in his state, which is a very wealthy state at the top end, but... Oh, I got to talk to you. What is a bill of attainder? A little bit of a history deep dive that'll tie into today. That's coming up in a moment. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. A bill of attainder. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show. This is the latest chapter in the Trump's taxes mania. Trump's taxes. They want Trump's taxes so badly. They need to get a grip. The federal government already has. New York State government, as we will discuss, already has Trump's taxes. But now this has turned this has turned into the latest shiny object. It was, oh, the Southern District of New York. They've got Trump. They've got him right where they want him. Oh, it turns out they don't. One part of the whole get Trump saga that get there's a lot that gets skipped over by the media. I mean, the media is a joke. The media is preposterous in this country for the most part. There are some great journalists, there are some great outlets, but you know, ninety percent of the media could go away tomorrow and the country would be better off as a result. But the one thing that they just managed to pretend like it never happened, the president's personal lawyer and by their own accusation, his personal fixer, his consigliere. Oh, I know people pronounce it consigliere, but the G is silent, yo. His consigliere, Michael Cohen, didn't have the goods on him. If the president's personal attorney, who also strikes me as something of an idiot, if he didn't have what it, you know, what they were looking for, they really think that they're going to get him with the documents that have already been submitted to the federal government and are, are looked over by federal government officials. Do we really think that the IRS gives Trump like the soft treatment? I don't think so. No, no intelligent person believes that, right? That Trump is somebody who would expect the benefit of the doubt from the IRS. But they are obsessed with Trump's taxes, as you know. And they still, and, and what, I, what I think happens here is they just keep moving on to the next con. They are conning the left. They are conning Democrats into thinking that there's this, this magic pill they're going to give them that ends the Trump nightmare. Just, just stay with us for a little longer, a little longer. Here's the magic pill. It's the emoluments clause. It's the 25th Amendment. It's, you know, Trump is a racist. It's Trump is a, a sexist. It's... Russia collusion, uh, Moscow Tower, it's, you know, just all these different things. It's supposed to, oh, the, the payoff to Stormy Daniels. 
These are all promised as the magic pill to end the Trump nightmare for Democrats who are so shook by this whole thing. It never ends the nightmare, does it? The pill never tastes the way it's supposed to. Never has the intended effect. It's the sugar pill. At best, libs can get a placebo effect from it. The placebo effect is like, well, maybe Trump won't be president again for four more years. That's not going to work. That's not going to be enough. They know that. Which brings me to the bill of attainder or uh, private bill discussion here. Uh, They want Trump's taxes. Now, taxes are a protected category of information within within the government. There's a good reason for that. The government forces you to give it a lot of personal information. How much money you make, how much you give to charity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. And it's one thing if you wish to share that with the public, but for the government to force you to give that private information and then to release that against your wishes, uh, this is an invasion of privacy. And this is not... Going back to the concept of good faith, this is not a a good faith exchange with the government because we give them all that information under the belief that they will keep it secret. They will maintain the confidentiality of it. And there are criminal statutes that apply here. If if someone in the IRS leaks uh, tax returns, they can go to prison just like somebody who would leak classified information. Why does this matter so much? Well, because the New York State Assembly has passed a law that clears the way for congressional committees to skip through the security of tax return information and just hand it right over to the president's political enemies. Here, here's uh, some CNN reporter or analyst talking a little bit about this, and then I'll dig deeper, play it. To be clear, what this would require is the state's tax commissioner to go ahead and send Congress uh, the, the president's state tax returns. It would be stripped of any federal information and the request would have to come from one of three specific committees, one from the House or the Senate or a joint committee, but it would have to be from those three committees and it would be devoid of any federal information. But remember, the president does have substantial business in New York, so we could get a very clear picture of his uh, of his business in New York. He has buildings uh, in New York, residential buildings. He also has a few hot- uh, one hotel uh, that he collects management fees from. So we could see uh, probably the most information, specific information, you know, if Congress goes ahead and uh, makes the request, uh, the state tax commissioner would have to give it. This is a law passed by the legislature in the state of New York, my, my home state, that is meant to target one individual. That's what this is. We, we now have reached the point where you have state legislatures that are passing get Trump law. These people have no respect for the rule of law. They have no respect for justice as something that is above and beyond the reach of partisanship. This is a complete disgrace. And it is going to raise issues uh, from a a perspective of the constitutionality of passing laws that would, some some would argue, are a bill of attainder. A A quick review here in case you... Like Bill of Attainder, that sounds familiar. Well, it, it is constitutionally prohibited. Uh, but a Bill of Attainder, people also refer to it as a, a writ of attainder, is essentially a le- legislative act that 
goes after one person, says one person did this thing and we're going to get them for it. It is a legislative act that punishes and singles out and punishes an individual. And these became best known in history, perhaps, because Henry VIII used them back in the uh, mid-16th century to uh, execute a bunch of people he didn't like and take all their stuff and dispossess their heirs. Pretty nasty guy, that Henry VIII. As uh, Christopher Hitchens used to say about England, the Church of England founded on the family values of Henry VIII. Uh, Henry VIII is a guy who used Bill of Attainder very infamously, but the, the basic legal principle is that you, you have to pass laws that are universally applicable. You, you pass a law because this is a thing that should be done or should not be done, not we don't like this person, we're passing a law to hurt them. Now, what they've done in New York, in Albany, in the state legislature, is they've opened this up so that it's enough, there's enough wiggle room that it could pass muster, but it's not done, once again, in good faith. They're not going to, con- congressional committees aren't going to request the state tax returns of your average official. They're not going to request the tax returns of other people in government, other than Trump appointees and executive branch officials. This is being done to open the door to get the information that they cannot otherwise get. They are changing law to get Trump. That is what is happening now. Um, That they don't understand how damaging this is to the public's faith in the rule of law just goes to show you that they're, once again, either just partisan zealots or idiots or both. I think both is most likely here. Uh, Attainder comes from being tainted, by the way. So the very passage of this law taints the person because it's meant to go after them. And as was pointed out there by that uh, CNN, whoever it was, a bill of attainder um, in this instance would give the information. Well, they won't call it a bill of attainder. It's also sometimes referred to a, a private bill as one that goes after an individual but does not have a punishment specific to it. That's called a private bill. Um, but a bill of attainder actually establishes that somebody needs to be punished as well. The information that would be in Trump's state tax returns, the numbers, the this, that, the other thing, would be very similar to what you see in his federal return. Right? If you make, make $50,000 in New York State, you, are, you report that same number to the federal government as you do to the New York State government. There's no difference. So this is an end run on the federal privacy of tax returns, all because Democrats have a bee in their bonnet about Trump not, not sharing his taxes. Keep in mind, he has shared all kinds of records, um, financial records already. That there's financial disclosures he has to do. This is, this is now where we are. They will change the law. They will ignore laws in order to obstruct Trump, to stop Trump from doing what he should be able to do as President of the United States, and they will pass new laws to help them hurt Trump. That is what they're doing. And yet they think they're the good guys in this whole process. Oh, we're going to get Trump's taxes, they say. And then what? What other laws are they willing to change in order to get this president? I would wonder. I wonder where they draw the line. Well, at least we got to talk about a bill of attainder today. So, but the founding fathers very worried about this. There were, there were there were specifics in the Constitution about it, what is forbidden. No bill of attainder, ex post facto law, nor any law impairing the obligation of contracts shall ever be passed. And no conviction shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture of estate. 
Article 1, Section 9, Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution bans bills of attender. Boom! Constitution. That's right. We'll be right back. I cannot emphasize this enough. The track record demonstrates he does not actually want information. He wants the fight, but not the truth. The closer he actually comes to obtaining information, the further we run from it. Whatever your opinion on the Mueller report, great, glad you have it. But you didn't get it here today and you're not getting it from this committee because this committee undoubtedly doesn't like the author and want to talk to the author of the report. They just want to talk about the report and make innuendo and attack the president at the middle of the day when this committee, who has charge of immigration, who has charge of intellectual property, who we've touched none of, with a crisis at the border, we have an admission that the economy's good, jobs are happening, unemployment is his lowest rate. I guess at the end of the day, we can't find something that the Mueller report lets them hang their I-word impeachment on, which they can't even agree on, because the president is continuing to do his job. And we're here again with the circus in full bars. And yet despite all that, which is which is true, I'm seeing here this, this poll circulating around about the historically strong opposition to President Trump at this stage of the game. This is a Quinnipiac Quinnipiac uh, poll, and you have here uh, the date, the president, and the question is, will you definitely vote against this president in the next election, the polling here? And essentially, uh, without going through every, everything here, I mean, you know, Carter, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama... Everyone's in the 30s, although George H.W. Bush was 21%. He didn't win. That's noteworthy. He didn't win. He was the kind of Republican that Democrats pretend to like, even though they kind of hated him at the time, but now they pretend to like him. And they pretend to like him because he lost gracefully. That's the way that they like it. They like Republicans who say, oh, you know, I'm going to be really nice, and you know, I'm sorry that I'm just not going to win. Uh, but that's not good. Donald Trump, as of May of 2019, has 54% of people who were polled here saying that they will definitely vote against him in the next election. Now, that's, that's the possibility, of course, is that this poll will, one, that sentiment will change. There are a bunch of possibilities. Two, the poll's not very good, which is also very much... A, a chance, I think. And then there's maybe the media has been successful. Successful in, uh, you know, creating this perception of an unsuccessful presidency, even though, look, the results speak for themselves. The results should speak for themselves. I don't even know what unemployment is right now. 3.5, something like that. Lowest it's been since 1969. And yet 54% of people say that they might vote against Donald Trump, according to this poll. It could just be the, the media trying to convince everyone constantly that the president is some kind of heinous monster. Um, and yet they're the ones complaining about how he won't reach out in bipartisan fashion. You know, Lindsey Graham had a moment today where he said, you know, Trump, so Trump won't work with you on something, or, you know, or Trump, says things that you don't really like. Here's how you should handle that as adults. Play 16. To have the president essentially saying, I refuse to work with the Democrats until, you know, they stop investigating me. 
Is this President Trump triple daring Democrats to impeach him? I, I think it could. Be. I'm sure there are some Democrats on the Hill that think just that. Um, you know, but this is right out of the art of the deal in some ways. He was known to walk into boardrooms, throw a fit, walk out. But the difference here is um, he can't go to another real estate, uh, you know, person to deal with. There's only one Congress. He, he has to deal with them. And you're already seeing his congressional allies starting to appeal to him to maybe rethink this decision. Lindsey Graham tweeted just a couple minutes ago something to the effect of, I know they're really mean, but you need to rise above it and be the better person. And to try to coax him back, um, because as Phil Mattingly said, there are a whole slew of bipartisan legislative issues that um, the president is going to need to engage Congress on. Like disaster so exactly at the end of this week. Lindsey Graham's tweet. All right, all right, all right, enough of the CNN stuff. Good God. CNN reporter talking about the Lindsey Graham tweet. So I read that. I read the verbiage. I thought it was Lindsey Graham talking about his tweet. Uh, but they think that this is serious. They, they, they present this as the problem is that President Trump isn't bipartisan enough. <laughs> the problem is that President Trump doesn't want to play nice with the other side. I mean, the, the Democrats still don't accept that he's the president. And the comparison to the birther movement under Obama is ludicrous. The Republican Party wasn't running around saying that President Obama wasn't born in this country. The Democratic Party is has been running around saying, and the media has been magnifying it, although they also started the whole thing. They've been saying the president is a traitor and worked with Russia and stole the election. But but he needs to be nicer to them. He needs to work with them. This is, oh man, this is really going to be tough to get through the next the next election the next year and a, what is it year and a half now roughly no less than that 16 months it's going to be tough to get through i want to talk to you about uh, the the avenatti debacle i was going to get right into immigration but i i'd rather spend some time with you discussing the latest on michael avenatti here see i remember as somebody who works in the media, I remember when Michael Avenatti was being heralded as some kind of a second usage of heralded today, being hailed, being lauded, feted. It's F-E with the French thing on it, T-E-D, not F-E-T-I-D, although that would work too. Uh, being feted and celebrated as a kind of anti-Trump feminist hero, Michael Avenatti. There was a time when Avenatti was on CNN so often, I figured Anderson Cooper must be a little nervous that Avenatti might take his job. Oh, no. Without Anderson Cooper, would CNN be CNN? Yeah, I think somebody else could read the prompter. It would be fine. Oh, no. Avenatti was on all the time. In fact, as a little... Oh, no, we don't have time for it. We'll we'll come back to it, though. See, this is a perfect little teaser. We're going to give you a little taste of what it was like back in the day with Michael Avenatti the way the media was talking about him, possible 2020 presidential candidate Michael Avenatti. And now turns out that not only is he a really bad lawyer and a really scummy guy, he has allegedly, because I don't want him to sue anybody here, allegedly stolen, according to a federal indictment, $300,000 from Stormy Daniels. Ooh, good stuff. We will get into this. And the media's complicity, the Democrats' complicity in this whole thing, in a moment. He 
He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Michael Avenatti, also referred to as the creepy porn star lawyer, a guy that you probably know of because the media made him famous. They made him famous for a while. He was more than a regular in the CNN green room. He probably had his own green room at CNN. They loved Avenatti. Why? Because he would go on TV and just slam and slander and defame the president. And for people that have Trump derangement syndrome, that is a kind of drug that they need. They have to hit the pedal and get the pill, hit the pedal and get the pill. Avenatti made that happen for them. If you think that that's any exaggeration, we pulled for you just a little, little bit of a throwback, a little bit of a go back in time, a, a way back machine here to I don't know, maybe about a year ago, forget when, when Avenatti was effectively the the savior of the republic, the man who, oh, that's right, he was the human embodiment of that pill that would awake libs from the nightmare of the Trump presidency. That was Michael Avenatti. He, he was the pill for a while. He was the one who was going to make it happen. Going to destroy Trump, not just end his presidency, not just harm him politically, but also... To go even beyond that and to get him perhaps thrown into prison. To get him into all kinds of trouble. To take down his family. So, Avenatti was the savior of the republic in terms of or of our democracy. The sanctity of our democracy. All that sanctimonious crap you hear from libs all the time. Turns out, to, well, let's get into what really happened in a moment. But here's what they used to say about him. Just... Little trip down memory lane. Play 20. Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Michael Avenatti. Joining us once again is Michael Avenatti. Let's bring in Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, thank you very much. He's out there saving the <laughs> Look, country. Don Meacham says he may be the savior of the republic. You are something of a wait, wait, so, so we get it. We get it. So Michael you get the Avenatti. idea. You get the idea. You get the idea. Right? You get the idea. Michael Avenatti is the savior of the republic. I mean, they just, they ran all this stuff, you know, oh my gosh, Michael, he was on CNN every five seconds. They absolutely love this guy. You know, thought he was, thought he was just, just totally fantastic. And it turns out he's not so fantastic. Here's what we have from this guy today. Uh, I'm trying to pull this. Oh yes, here we go. Prosecutors. This is from NBC. Very favorable to all things lib. Prosecutors have accused Michael Avenatti of spending money from his cli- that he took from his clients lavishly, including monthly payments on a Ferrari. Of course, ambulance chaser Avenatti had a Ferrari. Of course he did. This is from the Southern District of New York. Oh, right, where the really good lawyers are, right? The ones that, are, that were also going to take down Trump at one point. So we know we can trust the Southern District. Quote, Michael Avenatti abused and violated the core duty of an attorney the duty to his client. As alleged, he used his position of trust to steal an advance on the client's book deal. As alleged, he blatantly lied to and stole from his client to maintain his extravagant lifestyle, including to pay for, among other things, a monthly car payment on a Ferrari. Far from zealously representing his client Avenatti, as alleged, instead engaged in outright deception and theft victimizing rather than advocating for his client. Hmm. His client in this case, Stephanie, uh, what's her line? Whatever. Stormy Daniels. I forget her real name. Stephanie Clifford, I think. Yeah. 
Michael Avenatti took $300,000 and used it for his own purposes uh, from the publishing company that was putting out the Stormy Daniels full disclosure book. This is the kind of stuff that is either provable or not. I think Avenatti's in a whole lot of trouble. Stormy Daniels, right, the, uh, I think now former porn star, although I don't really know if she, I, I don't mean that to be, I'm not being supercilious. I, I don't know if she continues to work in the field or not, but Stormy Daniels um, was given $300,000 or was supposed to get $300,000 from a major publisher. And there are communications, according to the Southern District of New York, that show that she was saying, hey, where's the money? And Avenatti's like, I don't know. I'm going to keep asking them for it. But he already had it. And you'll see the stuff about payments and emails and communications. Federal prosecutors live for that stuff. The text messages, the emails, the money transfers, because that don't lie. That's either it is or it isn't. And from what we can see here, unless the Southern District is way off base, it is. And then Avenatti's got problems, my friends. He's got problems. Uh, Beyond that, he's also charged with trying to extort Nike. I mean, this came out, I think, in March. The formal charges were filed today, extorting Nike of... 20, uh, trying to get $20 million saying that there were Nike, that essentially high school athletes were getting payments and it was coming through Nike somehow and, you know, bad things were going on. So this was an extortion scheme. I mean, this is, this is a, a bad, not just a bad lawyer, but he comes across as a really bad guy. Um, someone who will exploit anyone and use them for his purposes and just has not an ounce of integrity or decency. And yet... How many times was he on name, name your show, you know, and you look back now at when he went on, for example, Fox news, he went on Tucker Carlson's show and Tucker you know, asked him some real questions and it was, Oh, you know, Michael Avenatti's so brave going into Fox news where they're just being so, no, it's just Fox wasn't part of this embarrassment. I mean, every journalist on TV or whatever they call themselves, anchors on TV, who had Michael Avenatti on and treated him like royalty should be very, should be deeply embarrassed by their role in this because they played a major role in elevating this guy. They created this character of Avenatti, the great white knight who was going to uh, save the country from the evils of Trumpism. And it turns out the guy is scummy, totally unethical. But here's this other component of the story that I I assure you, you will not hear from anyone else in certainly in the mainstream media and maybe not anywhere else other than me today. Let's also not forget something. Michael Avenatti tried to try to cement his reputation as a possible candidate for president in 2020 by involving himself very directly in the massive campaign of lies and disinformation to destroy now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh during those hearings. Avenatti was the one who represented and, uh, and, and supported and advocated publicly for Julie Swetnick, who was a crazy person and a liar. Said that Kavanaugh was part of these high school rape gangs that were going around and just all these gang rapes happening in these high school parties. She was in college, mind you, at the time and still going to these high school parties where there were gang rapes, where no one ever said anything about them. And then she gave an interview where she was smiling and looked like a complete 
an utter buffoon and may have in the process saved. Because at that point, if you didn't understand that this was this was a hit, this was a setup on Kavanaugh, you're just you're just blinded by partisanship or not very smart. At that point, it could not have been more clear. A woman came forward, represented by an attorney, swearing, uh, you know, signing sworn affidavits. That things happened that no serious person really believed happened. Avenatti was the one who did that. And now that we see where his integrity really falls on the spectrum, we see who this individual is and what he represents. I just would want to say, doesn't that also, shouldn't that also factor into what was going on with Kavanaugh? That Avenatti was the lawyer for one of the three women in the effort to destroy Kavanaugh. Doesn't that show you how underhanded, how slimy, how disgusting the libs were willing to be to take down Kavanaugh? I, I think that that's I think it's worth remembering to be sure. I think it's worth keeping that as a part of the conversation. I, I know I had said that we would talk about immigration. We will get to that. There's some new stuff going on there uh, for sure. Some ice detainer request information I wanted to share with you. Man, I got a lot. I got a lot to do. I got a lot to get through today. It's a busy show out here in California. If you want to uh, line up the lines for a second, we can take a call. 888-900-2825, 888-900-BUCK. We will hit a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know if it's a good thing that star power and TV uh, savvy is required for the job, but I think it is. And, and by the way, I think President Obama also had a lot of TV star power, and that helped him pre-Trump. Uh, but Trump is more evidence of this. And looking ahead to 2020, uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. Well, what are the reasons? He's speaking to Michael Avenatti there. That was Brad Stelter, reliable sources. One of the reasons to take you seriously is because you're on cable news and only serious people can be on cable news. It is star power on television. That's why I'm on television, because Brad Stelter is star power. <laughs> Oh, man, Stalter. He walks around in a suit with these goofy New Balance sneakers on all day. He's like, yeah, Brad Stalter. It's going to be the reliable sources today. I just said, oh, man. I'll never forget. Never forget when when good old Stealthy tried to uh, ambush me on a terrorism interview and got, got buck slapped oh so thoroughly. And then they, they refused to ever air the interview. That was a good one. I wish you guys could see it. It was good. Uh, excuse me, could you explain to me why you were able to say this is terrorism? Uh, well, I was right. So are you asking me how I knew something was true before you imbeciles at CNN knew it was true? Because that's going to be a longer conversation. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, yeah, that's why they had to take Avenatti seriously for president, folks. Avenatti for president. This is the, the Democrats, they complain about Trump all the time, say that he's unethical, he's a bad guy, he's a liar, all these things. They have all these complaints about moral character. They have all these complaints about the substance of the of the presidency and the man who holds the office. And then they then they want to put forward Beto O'Rourke or Michael Avenatti or you know, look at all these candidates. In fact, we have uh, this is when this is when I start to think that Kamala Harris. The reason she hasn't done well so far, even though they really want her to. The establishment media and the Democratic Party really wants Kamala Harris to break out. It's because there's some political skill that she just doesn't have. It's lacking. 
He doesn't have that X factor, that connection thing with people. I mean, which can often be built on a really on a fraud or it can be a facade, but some people at least can do it. I don't think she can even fake it. I don't think she has it. He, she was on uh, an interview. I don't even know who. Oh, ooh, with Allison Camarota over at uh, CNN. I'm, I'm really. I don't. I didn't mean for all the clips that I'd be CNN. I swear I wasn't on the CNN website today, just looking for clips to bash. Although I did miss. I'm a. I'm a little. Let me. Let me just revise this. I'm a little bit perturbed by CNN right now because I had to watch CNN. I had no choice when I was in Beijing if I wanted to see any news on television. And I couldn't use the internet, so I really was out of luck. I had no cho- choice but to watch CNN International, and it's anti-American propaganda. That's it's really worse than what all the stuff that RT puts out. I mean, what is more anti-American? Your CNN International editorial decision making or Russia Today? It's a close call. It's tough to say. And CNN's coming from Americans. Russia Today is not. But uh, Kamala, so that's why I'm, I'm my uh, tolerance for CNN right now is at a particularly low level, as you can tell. I promise tomorrow I'll, I'll lay off the CNN bashing, although it's just so fun. I mean, does it ever? I don't know. It never tires for me. Kamala Harris with Allison Camarata over at CNN. Here's how it went. Play 11. We have a little fun kicker that we like oh, to do so with fun. all of the presidential candidates that come on today. <laughs> okay. It's called Candidate Mixtape. That was the musical sting for it. Okay. And We're we so like whimsical, to talk a lot yeah. about music here on this program. So, what okay. is your favorite musical genre? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm hip-hop <laughs> and okay. reggae and jazz. Um, those, are, those are some of my favorites. Okay, do you have a favorite band or a favorite musician? I'd say one of my favorites is Bob Marley. Good choice. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. That's a no. crowd pleaser. Mm-mm. On your mixtape, what would choice. be like your favorite three songs? Oh, okay. Let's see. Um, I, Aretha Franklin. Um, uh, anything Aretha Franklin. Um, How about a song? I would say Bob Marley. And then, um, I don't know. I love Cardi B. How about a song? Okay, you, you get the says. idea. It's kind of like Alison Camerata is talking to a robot. Like there's, there's no, there is no authenticity at all. You get from Kamala Harris, none. Yeah, I like reggae and like hip hop and stuff. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I was just waiting for you know for uh, the Reverend Reverend Al Sharpton to come in with Aretha Franklin, R E S P I C T. You guys remember that? R-E-S-B-I-C-T. That happened on television. There are clips. I'm not making it up. Yeah. But uh, that is actually my favorite Aretha Franklin song is R-E-S-P-I-C-T. But Bob Marley, you can't think of a Bob Marley song. You probably haven't listened to that much Bob Marley. That what you, what I heard there, and I could be wrong. Although how often does, team, how often does that really happen? We know very infrequently. What I think happened there was you had Kamala Harris getting asked questions about something that she was processing, not as what she likes, but what do I think the audience, what will sound authentic? What does the audience want to hear from me? And she was trying to go into her memory banks to find those things instead of just what music she likes. You know, if somebody asked me on the fly, I would name a bunch of bands that probably some of you would be like, Buck, why are you so weird? 
You know, why do you bring up the Goo Goo Dolls at every opportunity and say they're an underrated band? Because they're not that great, but they are underrated. And I think that people should celebrate their music a little bit more. You know, why do you admit publicly that you still listen to Dave Matthews band, for example, and have no shame about it? That's right. If I'm in a bad mood, I can listen to Dave Matthews and it makes me in a slightly better mood. Do I think that sometimes Dave sounds like somebody is strangling a cat? Yeah, sure. But still listen to it. I own that. I own that. So that's kind of where I am. Um, I don't have to search deep into the memory banks. I'm not running for office, but, you know, this is like Kamala Harris. She's a second offender of this one because when they asked her what she listened to in college, she said Snoop, and she was in college before Snoop had any of the songs that she was talking about. So it's a little bit like when Hillary Clinton told reporters that she was named for a name for Sir Edmund Hillary who climbed Mount Everest. Turns out that uh, she was born after he climbed Mount Everest, so that would be tough. But the authenticity thing is Kamala Harris's problem. Otherwise, she'd have, I think, a clear path to the nomination, really. I think Democrats wanted to be her in a lot of ways, but she just isn't. It's kind of like Hillary all over again. Doesn't connect, doesn't resonate. And, you know, hasn't yet said uh, anything as crazy as Elizabeth Warren in terms of hurting her chances, but isn't doing a good job. All right, immigration's coming up next hour. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Immigration, according to the left, is a very straightforward concern. Very straightforward uh, issue where, on the one hand, you have Democrats who um, love immigrants, especially from the third world. They, they, they want the increased diversity of the third world into America in large number, and they want people to be able to pursue their dreams and do all these great things, and they're the nice people. The Democrats on immigration are the nice people. Republicans are supposed to be the big, mean meanies, the bad guys. The nasty people that believe in enforcing the laws that are on the books currently about immigration, that think that we should have a process that brings in higher skilled workers to benefit the Americans already here, that there's an assimilation process that can be overwhelmed if there are too many legal and illegal immigrants put together in the country uh, over a period of time. But we're, the, we're the, basically the mean people and the Democrats are the nice people that there's no downside to what Democrats want, which is a broken system where the only certainty is there'll be more and more and more illegals coming to the country over time. That's the only thing we know for sure. What else will happen? Uh, we're not really clear on that, but we know there'll be more illegals. But there's no downside to this, they tell us. Sanctuary city policy, for example, no downside. They will often say, you'll hear this said, that cities with more immigrants are safer. Well, the whole country is safer than it was 30 years ago. And so there's a lot of statistical fallacies that are bandied about about immigration. But you know, you'll, hear, you'll hear people say things that are just flatly and obviously untrue, but they keep repeating them and they must believe them to be true or they think that we're too foolish to understand that what they say is not true. Um, but on sanctuary city policy, for example, you'll be told that this promotes safety. The Democrat position, I and mean, I'm here in California, which is a sanctuary state, 
where you have laws that the California legislature has passed or whatever, the California State Assembly, whatever they call it here, that make it a crime for a private business owner to voluntarily comply with immigration and customs enforcement efforts in the state of California that refuse to allow, that would not allow contractors from within the state of California to bid to build the extension or the really the replacement fence. At some places, it's additional fencing, so it's an extension of the, uh, the border fence that exists in the San Diego sector. Couldn't bid for that. You had to bring in a Texas firm. Go Texas. Bring in a Texas firm to do that because the state of California wouldn't allow it. So we know where they stand on this. And they say that you know, sanctuary city policy is a good thing because if you, and I've never seen anything to support this other than just, it's just a statement that is made and repeated a lot. They say, well, if you enforce immigration law in cities, illegal immigrant communities are less likely to go to the police. Therefore, we're all less safe. That's what they say. I I don't believe this, but this is still what they say, right? That's what the the storyline is. Well, I want to give you a, a different perspective on this. One that looks at the reality of what happens when you have one political party that from the federal all the way down to the local level, Democrat Party no longer believes in enforcing immigration law and no longer believes that there should be any assistance and has not for a long time believed there should be any assistance from state and local authorities to immigration authorities. On no other matter, matter of, of criminal law is this the case. You know, if, if someone in the DEA asked for an assist from local law enforcement to do a drug bust, guess what? They're going to get that assist. I mean, unless there's some extenuating circumstances that doesn't come to mind, but they're going to help them out because law enforcement tends to want to help out law enforcement because they're, the, they're on the same team, and you'd think the team is rule of law and the American people, but because of sanctuary city policies, the hundreds of jurisdictions across the country that have some variation of we won't help and will even actively obstruct federal law enforcement efforts when it comes to illegal aliens. That's the proper term, by the way. Undocumented is a nonsense term that does not exist in law. But when cities do this, there are consequences. And here's, here's an example of the consequences. Two teenagers, this was uh, NBC News Washington, two teenagers, this is right in my area, in, uh, in, this is near Swampville in D.C., charged in the death of a 14-year-old Maryland girl, were arrested by Prince George's County Police in another case last year and should have been detained, according to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Salvadorans Jose Fuentes Ponce, 16, and uh, Joel Escobar, 17, were in the country illegally when they were arrested May 11, 2018, on several charges, included attempted first-degree murder, attempted second-degree murder, and participation in gang activity. They were released despite an ICE detainer. Let's just unpack this for a moment, shall we? You've got a couple of illegals, all right? Both of whom are right near the age of, you know, the age of uh, adulthood where they could, where they would be tried as adults, but they both could be tried as adults, 16, 17. That's not that unusual at all, especially for these kinds of crimes. Attempted first degree murder charge. Attempted second degree murder. Believed to be members of the MS-13 gang, which Gang members is what President Trump referred to as animals, not immigrants, even though Beto O'Rourke this week went back to the well on that one and 
lied about that. That's a, that's a lie. Where are all the Pinocchios from the Washington Post fact checker on that? President Trump called immigrants animals, and it's so, like, not cool. No, that's not what happened. You refer to MS-13 murderers, rapists as animals. So let's at least try to get our facts straight, Democrats, We're going to when we're going to once again in unhinged fashion, criticized President Trump for some reason or another. But here you had these two illegals. That's what they are. That's what the terminology is, despite what Democrats want you to believe. You have two illegals, very serious charges, attempted murder charges. Immigration authorities say, hey, can you hold on to them? We're coming to get them. That's what a detainer request is. Federal authority has the right to take them. Can you hold them until we get there? Can you give us an assist on this? And you know what? You know what the uh, Maryland uh, local authorities did? They re- released these two gangbangers. Right? They released these two MS-13 members in the country illegally. Never should have been here in the first place. I mean, I guess I wonder if they ever applied to be dreamers. And I mean that seriously. I'm sure they're probably near the age where they could have said that they're dreamers. But we're always told that dreamers are just valedictorians. Now I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of valedictorian dreamers. I'm just saying. If they're going to tell us about the cases where someone gets a 4.0 and you know discovers uh, a new kind of rocket fuel in high school and everything else, can we also then be honest about the cases where there are so-called dreamers who are actually gang members and attempted or real murderers? Isn't that isn't that fairness? Isn't that if you're going to get a real sense of what's at stake and what's going on, don't you have to look at it as it is, not as the media would like to present it? So they released in, uh, it was almost exactly a year ago, they released these two guys, despite the request. And you know what has uh, happened since then? Um, These two individuals have been arrested last week again. Oh, I'm sure they they were upstanding citizens, just wrongly arrested the first time around. Arrested again last week and charged with not attempted, but actual first degree murder. And related charges in the death of 14-year-old Ariana Funes Diaz, whose body was found in a creek on April 19th in the Riverdale area of Prince George's County. The suspects were fearful, according to police, that this young woman, a 14-year-old girl, folks, was going to go to police about a robbery that they had all committed back in April. So now let's be very clear about this. This 14-year-old girl is dead, and I don't even know what the specifics are about how they killed her and maybe what they did before they killed her. I'm sure it was heinous and awful. I mean, her, her murder alone is heinous and awful, but if we know what MS, we know what MS-13 usually does. But this 14-year-old girl would be alive, but for the bleeding heart libs who believe in sanctuary city policy. You, you can draw a straight line here. This is not a hard one to figure out. A year ago... Immigration authority said those are MS-13 gang members. They're bad news. They're not legally allowed to be in the country. Please hold them for us. And you know what Prince George's County, Maryland authority said? Nope, sorry. Can't do that. Sanctuary city. Let them go. So they let them go. And now they killed a girl. 14 years old. Dead. Family never going to get to see her alive again. Does that get factored into our discussions about immigration? I I, want to know. You know, Kate Steinle in San Francisco on that pier, staring at her father as a bullet takes her life away. A bullet shot by an illegal alien who had been deported seven times, I think. 
San Francisco very proud of its illegal alien status. Does that get brought up or not? Are we not allowed to discuss this? Is it is it somehow racist to talk about sanctuary city policy and the downside of it? I'm sure the lib media says yes. It is of course it is of course racist. You can't discuss any bad parts of sanctuary city policy. That's that's just a manifestation of your white privilege. You have to ignore it. You have to pretend if you're a good person in the immigration debate now. If you're a good human being, you must ignore the very real human cost in lives. Never mind the costs in you know, educational costs, healthcare costs, rule of law, all these things that come from illegal immigration. Not allowed to talk about it. You're a bad person if you even speak of these things. So I would like to know that the next time some lib wants to have a debate on TV about you know the dreamers and sanctuary policy, will they say, even if it means MS-13 gang members are not transferred over to federal authorities for immigration purposes, and that results in people getting raped and murdered, I like sanctuary city policy. If libs would at least say that, I would give them credit for being open and honest about their intentions. But they won't say that. They'll, they'll say that, that's, that this doesn't really happen. That's not a real concern. This is not something that we need to discuss. They're all valedictorians. They're all dreamers. It's all amazing. There's no downside. They're lying to you. They're lying to all of us. They lie about immigration all the time. In fact, the entire immigration discussion has been infected with so many lies from the media and such a left-wing bias that, if nothing else, Trump has done us a great service as a country by finally you know, kicking over the log and saying, this is what's really going on here. This is what is really happening. Now, I am not happy with what's going on at the southern border, obviously. Situation the Trump administration is in right now with 100,000-plus illegals pouring in every month is unacceptable. Some of it is the administration's fault for not focusing on immigration right out of the gate, right after the Trump presidency. But, you know, they're trying to throw this guy and his family in prison with the Russia stuff. And you got judges that overturn every action that Trump takes at the border. you got Congress, including Republicans in Congress, who are wimps on the border. I mean, it's not fair to say this is all on Trump. He has taken action to show that he is serious on the issue, but it has not been successful yet. The results are not there. The border is worse in many ways than it has ever been and it hurts me to say that but it is true but liberals can't even have a real discussion about it if you if you brought up with any of your liberal friends what happened here in prince george's county and said what about that aspect of sanctuary city policy does that make us safer does defying a federal law enforcement request when you yourself are in law enforcement and i know by the way i know that i'm not, I'm not criticizing the local Cops who, who, in some cases, have to release these individuals, this is their chain of command telling me you got to do this or else you're going to be in trouble, right? This is a political decision that's made at the top of the, the, the chain of command for local and state law enforcement by state legislatures, by elected politicians. They're the ones that say, we are a sanctuary, you know, we are a sanctuary city. Remember that guy in Philadelphia? Did a little dance. Got more on the border coming up here, team. We'll be right back. So here's the uh, Prince George's County jail director who is uh, telling people, remember, I just spoke to you about this case, the two MS-13, alleged MS-13 gang members now believed to have committed first-degree murder of a possible witness against them in other crimes, doing the crimes Americans won't do, apparently. Uh, they, they were released, killed this young girl. Here's the county jail director for Prince George's County responding to 
the Immigration and Customs Enforcement slam of them. Here's what they say. Play 15. And a detainer is not a warrant. It's a civil detainer. It's actually a request for localities to hold uh, inmates till ICE decides whether they want to come for them or not. And following that guidance, Prince George's County does not notify ICE. Yeah. Guidance from the Maryland Attorney General says, nope, you don't notify ICE. Don't help them out. No detainer. Sorry. So let's understand this. It's a decision, a decision made, in this case, by the Attorney General, who's an elected official in Maryland. A Democrat, of course, I'm sure. I'm just guessing, but it's Maryland. Come on. Although I know the governor is technically a Republican, so maybe I'm wrong. Whoever it is, they've got this now on their record. There are real costs. There are real costs to ignoring the law, to violating the law, to to being complicit in the uh, abandonment of principle because it is politically useful. And a young girl lost her life. It was taken from her viciously by a couple of thugs who never should have been in the country in the first place. But local law enforcement acting on Democrat advice wouldn't help out. Meanwhile, if you think that Democrats really care about law enforcement, here's what a refreshment member of Congress says about what is going on at our southern border right now. I mean, this is stunning stuff. You have Kevin uh, McAleenan, who was accused by Representative Lauren Underwood here of, well, you can hear it from Democrat Underwood herself. Play eight. Why do these tragedies keep happening? So they're happening because the crisis is exceeding the resources provided that's why we've asked for more and we've asked for more authority to deal with it to prevent this crisis from happening in the first place at this point with five kids that have died five thousand separated from their families i feel like and the evidence um, is really clear that this is intentional that's an appalling accusation and our men and women fight hard to protect people in our custody every single day it is an appalling and stupid accusation There is not a single person who works for Customs and Border Patrol who wants to see little kids die in custody. Not a single one, I can assure you, and you already know that. But that's the the degree of Democrat demagoguery is so extreme that a member of Congress thinks that she's going to score points with the far-left constituents by suggesting that there's an intentional policy of letting kids letting little kids in custody die. Little kids die in custody because they're brought over a dangerous journey, because they're in stressful circumstances with parents, in some cases, who are not really their parents. They're part of this recycling of children program because of all the fraud that's going on on our border. And they get sick. And Immigration and Customs and Border Patrol is not the Red Cross. They're a law enforcement organization. They're not standing at the border with vaccinations and children's Tylenol, although they're increasingly having to do that. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds showing up at one time in one place. They're trying to process them. You know, if a kid falls sick with a fever in the first hour, they've got him in custody and they, they don't take him to the hospital speedily enough. That's not trying to kill a young kid. That's just they don't have the resources to handle you know, a million people from the third world piling into America and making a mockery of our system. But Democrats like the mockery of the system. They, they think this is great. They don't want to, they don't want to change this. They want to, want to make the processing even faster. Appalling. Appalling. But on many things, Democrats are appalling. So I suppose we should not be 
surprise. Uh, more thoughts coming, including roll call. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Team, as you know, I just got back from a trip to China a few days ago. That's why I was out last week. I really appreciate, uh, one, all the well wishes for my return and also your, your feedback on the various and uh, very talented guest hosts that we had over the course of my, my absence. Needless to say, I'm very glad, very glad to be back and, and plan to zealously guard my time with you for the foreseeable because I feel like I was, I think that's the longest I've been out from the show since I started the show. Uh, so, China. China! Do we have it? If we got the drop, man, you got <laughs> you to just let her. China! China! There we go. <laughs> don't, whenever you hear it, man, Mark, don't be shy because, you know, it's China time. China! There you go. I told a bunch of my, my uh, colleagues over there, I said, have you guys seen Big Trouble in Little China? And none of them had, which I was shocked, which has nothing to do with China, by the way, but it's just an an opportunity to bring up a, a great uh, cult classic. But you've been asking me, what do I think about, some of you have been writing, but what do I think about the uh, intellectual property theft component? And as I mentioned to you, there are whole, uh, there are whole stores that are out operating the open in Beijing. In Shanghai, it's a little more under the radar, a little, you have to walk through some shady, not that I know about this, walk through some shady parking lots and go through some side doors and, you know, they kind of just show you some of the wares in a dark room. But in Beijing, it's right out in the open. They'll 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 selling fake Rolexes, fake Patek Philippe, fake uh, Panerai or Panerai. I mean, these very very expensive watches uh, for the ladies out there. Louis Vuitton handbags. Uh, not to be gender normative about handbags. Maybe you want a man bag. I don't know. But Louis Vuitton handbags. Uh, what else? Chanel. All these famous and they're just all fakes. All they're selling fakes all over the place. Uh, some of them are pretty good fakes. They actually have different degrees of fakes. So there's that kind of intellectual property theft. Then there's a the much more concerning kind, which, or at least more concerning to a national security side of things. And we see another story about this now. Huawei executive accused by U.S. startup of involvement in trade secrets theft. Uh, this is from C C N E X Labs. Claims that a top Huawei executive, remember Huawei is a major Chinese telecommunications company, was part of a conspiracy to steal its SSD computer storage technology with help from China's uh, Xiamen University. I don't know how you say that really, but you get the idea. There's uh, allegations now made in a lawsuit. So this is a, is, a, is a civil lawsuit that's heading to federal court, but they're saying that Huawei engaged in a multi-year conspiracy to steal the San Jose, California company's uh, solid-state drive computer storage technology and that they used a Chinese university to help in this process. This is happening, folks, every day. It's happening all the time. They're hacking, they're stealing, they're finding ways to enter in and suck up as much information as they can. And the economy of the future is going to be, I mean, the economic advantage of the future is going to be mostly in information and natural resources, and those are the two things China has a real strategy that it is executing on to eliminate any advantage that we have. All right. China is voraciously stealing intellectual property, voraciously. And China is also um, 
doing everything that it can. I mentioned this, uh, I think, yesterday on the show to, with its Belt and Road Initiative to get access to natural resources in the third world to set up these pipelines and these forward operating bases for economic purposes with the idea that there'll be follow-on bases built that are military in nature. And this is how they extend the Chinese imperial reach that they're going to grow around the world. But the theft of intellectual property, the theft of trade secrets, uh, this is where we're going to look back at this and say, how could America have been so asleep while this was going on? And if nothing else, Trump, with his punch him in the nose mentality, has raised this to the level where it is finally getting national attention. He has raised this to the point where we now talk about it openly and expect the Chinese to at least look us in the eye across the negotiating table when we say, you have to knock this crap off. I don't think they're going to knock it off. It's too valuable to them. But the, scale, the scope and scale of this is so vast that it, if we do not get a handle on it, if we do not work very actively against it, we're going we're gonna to find out much sooner than we think that we no longer have an, a technology advantage over the Chinese. And we don't have a population size advantage. If we don't have a technology advantage, and, we, if, if, and if we don't have a wealth advantage, what do we have? So I've got a lot of thoughts on China. We'll keep working through those as we go forward. Um, but uh, I also want to get to your thoughts, which means it's time for roll call. Be right back. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. La La Land, Los Angeles edition of Roll Call. It's nice out here. Although today it went from beautiful, sunny, felt very, very much like a West Coast guy, you know, getting a little bit of, a little bit of color. And then all of a sudden it started raining like a monsoon and there was hail. So you never know what you're going to get out in this place. Uh, at least when it comes to weather. When it comes to politics, you pretty much do know. All right, Lori. Kicking us off, roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Lori writes, Buck, so glad you're back. My podcasts are not automatically downloading despite subscribing, unsubscribing, and resubscribing and all kinds of other tech tactics. Is this a conspiracy, a shadow ban? What is going on? Well, Lori, that's very, very disturbing for me to hear. And I certainly hope that uh, that's not a widespread problem. I don't know what could be going on there, but if I hear from other folks, we will look into it further. Maybe it's your connection. I don't know. But yes, please do subscribe, folks. Subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That would be fantastic. Brian writes, uh, glad you're back home safe. As always, you left the Freedom Hut in great hands. Interested to hear your analysis on the government surveillance culture that is China. See if you can get Ami Horowitz on your show for a quick interview. Smart guy running on the Democratic ticket for the sole purpose of talking truth to the socialist gibberish during the Democratic debates. He needs 65,000 unique donors to get on the stage at the debates. Hopefully his sane, rational points will sway some diehard liberals who only watch MSNBC to think outside the box of Orange Man Bad. Sorry I missed you in D.C. You missed a great week to be there. And uh, more and more stuff here. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best, buddy, Brian. Brian, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you writing in and, and all of your uh, helpful thoughts. Pithy 
quips, witticisms, all that good stuff. Wade. Hey, Buck, I'm a reporter with Mediaite. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Not re- <laughs> that's, that's a different kind of... That's a, that's a media request. Whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, that's, let me see. Let me go back. Uh, wait, I'll, I'll try to get back to you offline. Josh writes, Buck, no Tuesday podcast. What happened? Please post the show. All right, uh, producer Mark, do we, did we not post a podcast? It was Hello? there. Why, why is everyone saying there's no podcast? I can check on that. Let's check on that because that's very sad for all involved. I mean, I finally come back. It is the return of the buck. Return of the buck. That's not even close. Return of the Mac is a great song. That's all you need to know. Uh, let's figure out if the podcast actually went up because if it didn't, that makes me sad on the inside, which we do not want. Michelle, heard your show today. You were spot on regarding Judge. I thought the same thing. You were spot on regarding every point. However, you sounded very, very tired <laughs> or... Or relax like you had a bit of wine. <laughs> I was drinking wine myself as I listened. So it could have possibly affected my audio intake, but everything sounded as if it was touched by a good uh, a spot of good-natured inebriation. No, Michelle, what that was was um, jet lag. I, I mean, I tried to get on a, a good sleep schedule and everything when I came back, but it's, it's too 12-hour. It was a 12-hour time difference. So when I was finishing up the show yesterday it was like i had basically gone through the night without sleep you know it was so what felt like 9 p.m for all of you felt like 9 a.m with no sleep before it for me so think of it like if i just stayed up all night to do the radio show and it was you know four or five a.m instead of uh six p.m when you were listening that that's and so if i sounded at all different it was just it was just the jet lag catching up with me no wine tomorrow i can tell you um, although that would have been fun. It'd be nice if I could do a show with a little wine in me once in a while, just, just to give it a go, just to see what happens. Sarah, totally agree, Buck. Aquaman movie was awful. Waste of time watching it. Sarah, some people gave me a little heat on this, including producer Mark. Um, I got to tell you, I, I just thought it was just completely un- unwatchable. And there are all these moments where Aquaman's like, yeah, like I'm just a bro, even though I'm the Aquaman. And he had these one-liners that were, cringe inducing i did not like it i did not enjoy the aquaman i did enjoy as i said they will not grow old and a star is born john writes our country's tax code especially in california is clear as muddy water all right my friend john i agree you also sent me a very nice uh recommendation on tequila terrence hey buck welcome back just a guess regarding Tiananmen Square, but could it be that we're in the middle of the 30th anniversary of the 89 protests? 15th of April to June 4th of 1989. As an expat living in Korea, in the case of Michael Spavor, a Canadian detained in China on, on charges, uh, more that's more talked about in Canada than the Western media. Perhaps you could keep his situation in public awareness shields high. Uh, Terrence, I don't know anything about Michael Spavor, who is detained in in china right now i know nothing about the guy uh so i have to look into that um but in terms of the closure of Tiananmen square uh it is i think it was because they said they had some high level visitors there but it's china so one thing that's interesting about it is the government will lie to you in a way that they're not even trying to be 
honest. Like they, they know that you know they're lying and, and they don't care. <laughs> That's a difference between uh, the way our government lies to us. I mean, our government has to at least pretend that they care if we're being lied to or if they're lying to our faces. The Chinese government's like, nope, we're just going to... Same in the Soviet Union back in the day. They'll just, they just lied. Did not matter. Um, Bill writes, hey, Buck, or Buck Sexton show staff, I used to listen to the show via the Android app Podcast Addict when it was offered via Blaze TV. My wife still listens via the Apple Podcast, but I can only find your show, it seems, via iHeartRadio. Is there anything your staff can do to get it available via Podcast Addict, or is it something exclusive? I get all the usual podcasts via their services. Yours is absent. Thanks. Oh, disregard. I found it after additional searching. All right, Bill. Well, you found it. So I'm glad we made it through. I'm glad we made it through that. That is a good thing. Uh, Michael writes, WHP Radio Harrisburg replaced your first hour again tonight with some podcast. The podcast is females talking about history you may have forgotten. Just wanted you to be aware of this. It's the second time I've noticed it. Uh, well, Michael, I have... Uh, is this things you may have missed in history class? Is that the podcast that they're running there? I don't know. That's. I've tried to listen to that podcast. I, I, I tried once. That's all I'll say. Pablo writes, Hey, Buck, I just saw a cut scene from The View with Beto. All I could see when he spoke was Jonah Ryan from Veep. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but the character is tall, gangly, and is a complete narcissist. Shields high. Yeah, Pablo, Beto is done. He's like, you can put a fork in him. He's done. He's like toast. He wanted to bring together America and just give us all a hug and make our spirit rise. But instead, he's just not going to... Even come close to winning the presidency. Not even close. Not even in the realm of realism. Uh, so that, that didn't last very long at all, did it? I guess there's only room for one young, youthful media darling candidate, and that role is being filled by Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Excellent. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, let's see. We have... Uh, hmm. Sean. Ahoy, Buckbeard. Keep meaning to thank you for inadvertently helping me lift my rides, or, or getting rides for my lift job, rather. Whenever I'm driving, I want to catch up on your podcast. But in the interest of seeming politically neutral, I pause the show. It seems that whenever I listen, it's not long before I get another ride. This also keeps your show going for me for most of the night. Thanks and shields high. Sean, a fan since Real News. Well, thank you, Sean. And yeah, maybe it's just your time between rides flies by because you're listening to the most fantastic uh, radio show slash podcast in the country, at least in its time slot. Um, so yeah, man, check it out. Listen to it. Makes the time fly. Everybody, if you've got long rides ahead, download a bunch of the Buck Sexton podcast. It's like we're hanging out. But also, if you need to take a, a potty break or you want to go get a beer, you can pause me and I have no say in the matter. I don't get to be like, wait, I'm not finished. So it's even more fun. It is even better. Eric, I uh, hope you had a good time in China, Buck. Beware the geopolitical foe of our time that hands out $1.5 billion loans to our former vice president's child. We're in real trouble if we had begun peddling the Biden narrative that China, who has been wargaming preemptive strikes on our Ford operating bases, is no threat to the U.S. and our influence throughout the world. I fear that their involvement in Venezuela is being ignored by our media, whom China watches and listens to. If we were to become involved militarily, the actions would likely be a political loser here, at home, and the media would likely completely ignore the proxy war with China that it would become. You know, I've been skeptical all along that we were going to be able to get what we wanted in Venezuela to happen. 
the Maduro regime has lasted this long, does not care. Uh, they, they, they do not give any consideration to the misery of the Venezuelan people. And despots, one thing that despots have to be good at is staying despots. Otherwise, they don't, they don't last long at all. Uh, they stand atop a mountain of force. There is no consent, not even the, the real facade of consent in a despotism like Venezuela. So that means that you got to be good at force if you're going to force everyone to do what you want. And that tends to be the case, unfortunately. Um, as to China, yeah, China is a the geopolitical foe of our time. And there are ways that, that you can frame that discussion that make it seem a bit less ominous. I mean, I do think the Chinese uh, want continued prosperity. So there are economic ties and there are economic uh, areas that are, are crossovers where there could be good things for both sides. But you can really tell when you're there, the Chinese feel like the world is theirs for the taking. I mean, they, they think that they will be the global hegemon, that China's influence, way of looking at things, uh, you know, Ch- China is going to become an imperial power instead of a regional power very soon. That's going to be the next step. And it's doing it right now with economic ties. It'll eventually do it with forward operating bases and military ties and a blue water navy. All right, that's it from Los Angeles today. I'm going to go have some fun on the left coast, maybe drink a couple of mojitos until tomorrow's show. My friends, you have your orders. Shields high.